0: What is going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Wisconsin Sportsman Podcast, which is brought to you by Tacticam. This is your home for all things outdoors in the Badger State. I'm your host, Josh Rayleigh. Man, I hope you have had a fantastic Memorial Day weekend. It is Monday as I'm recording this intro right now, recorded this episode a couple of days ago, but I hope you took the time not only to enjoy family and an extra day off for the weekend, but also you took time to remember those who paid the ultimate sacrifice so that we could continue to enjoy our freedoms. So, uh, Hey, got a good episode in store for you today. I got a chance to catch up with Matt Strine from weathered oaks game calls. I've had Matt on before to talk about Turkey hunting. And I think the episode that I did with Matt, uh, the first one that we did together was his, actually his first podcast that he was ever on. Uh, now, Matt has his own podcast with the Okest Hunter podcast network uh, called the Okest Fisher podcast. He and Greg Tubbs, who has also been a guest on this show, uh, host that show. Uh, It's really good. I've been listening to it. uh, And, man, I I think you'll enjoy it. So you should go check that out. It's the Okest Fisher podcast. Now, Matt is the co-owner of Weathered Oaks Game Calls. He sent me one a couple of years ago. He had some prototypes that he was hoping people would try out. And I obviously reached out and said, hey man, I'd love to try out one of your calls. I thought it was amazing. It's an awesome pot call. Uh, I'm still using the prototype today. It's a double-sided call, has slate on one side, and I I think it's some kind of acrylic on the other. I I don't really know what the surface is on the other. They also make grunt tubes for deer hunting. They are also making elk calls. Now, this is new for them. I had no clue uh, even that they were doing this, but we talk about it a little bit in this episode. You can find more from Matt Uh, at weatheredoaksgamecalls.com or you can find him on Instagram and other social media at weatheredoaksgamecalls. In this episode, he and I talk about his very successful turkey season up to this point. We talk a little bit about calling strategy, decoy strategy, and we actually talk about an upcoming hunt. Uh, Well, at the time that we recorded, it was an upcoming hunt, but now we are on the other side of that hunt and he had some great success Again, Matt's a heck of a turkey hunter and just all-around good dude. So I think you're going to enjoy this episode. Always a great time when I get to catch up with Matt. A little bit of housekeeping stuff on my end, guys. If you are not already, please go follow me at the Wisconsin Sportsman on Instagram. You can also find me at How to Hunt Deer on Instagram. Uh, go check out my other show, How to Hunt Deer. It's also in the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network. It launches on Thursdays and features all deer content all the time you may be wondering hey josh why aren't you talking a lot about deer in the spring and summer well the reason for that number one a lot of you guys are out doing and enjoying other things and if you've got the deer itch 365 days a year then you can head over to the how to hunt deer podcast and find everything you need if you're liking my shows please do go and leave us a review you know what even if you're not liking them even if you don't like the shows at all go leave me a review let me know what you think if you can give me five stars that would be great. If you could leave me a written review, that would be even better. Also make sure to follow, subscribe, whatever it is that the podcast platform of your choice allows you to do. Now time for a couple of commercials. Guys, first of all, this week, I want to talk about the Onyx Hunt app. I recently was uh, on a little bit of a vacation, kind of a long weekend camping trip with the family. We went to a part of Alabama that has a uh, a species of bass that is pretty rare and is only found in certain watersheds in Alabama and Georgia. And I think there are some up into Tennessee, but not very many at all. And I was using the Onyx Hunt app the entire time to make sure that number one, I was not accidentally venturing onto private property, but number two, I was able to track and find all these little tributaries and, and small creeks that fed down into the larger rivers where I could find the specific species of bass that I was after. I've said it before and I'll say it again, the Onyx Hunt app is the piece of gear that I use more than any other. It goes with me whether I am hunting, whether I am fishing like over this weekend, whether I'm hiking like I was this weekend with the family, whatever it is that I'm doing, the Onyx Hunt app goes with me anytime I'm outdoors because it just gives me that peace of mind that I know where I'm standing. If you're not already using the Onyx Hunt app, you really, really should go try it out. You can find it on the app store of your choice, and you can get a seven-day free trial. If you want to learn more or have more questions, head over to onyxmaps.com. Next up, Huntworth. Things are really starting to heat up, and it's about time to start getting your trail cameras back out. I really like to get my trail cams back out in, let's say, uh, late June, early July. And that's really so that I've got time to move them once or twice if they're not panning out, not giving me the summer intel that I am really after. But one thing that I can tell you, when I'm putting out trail cameras and when I'm checking my trail cameras, I'm gonna have two things. I'm gonna have the Lodi pack from Huntworth and I'm gonna be wearing my Durham lightweight pants. Those things will go with me into the woods every time I go this summer. If you're looking to upgrade some of your camo or just looking to fill in the gaps in a couple of pieces that you need head over to huntworthgear.com where you'll find all sorts of high quality camo at a price that's not going to break the bank also check out their packs those things are fantastic i've got the lodi and the hickory uh the lodi is my go-to when it comes to summer you know trail cams and that kind of thing or if i'm just going to make a quick hunt The hickory is the one that goes with me when I'm carrying all my camera gear and I've got extra clothes that I wanna haul in and maybe I wanna stay for the whole day. So, But they're both fantastic packs. You can't go wrong with either one. Head to huntworthgear.com to learn more. And then finally, huge thanks to Tacticam. If you're thinking about filming your hunts this fall, there is no better way to get started than to grab a Tacticam point of view camera. And guys, the Tacticam 6.0 is absolutely amazing. 4K, 60 frame per second footage, Awesome image stabilization, great low light performance. It has a small LCD touchscreen on there that saves you setup time and helps navigate through the different settings and features on the camera. And uh, man, the new housing is just awesome. Like when you hold it in your hand, you can just tell this thing is quality built. To make things even better, it comes in a waterproof housing and one touch operation. One of my favorite accessories to go with the camera that I think you should definitely look into is their remote control. You press one button and up to five different cameras, if you've got that many, will all turn on at one time. So that is super, super helpful. You've got that buck coming in, you've got that turkey coming in, you just reach in your pocket, press one button on the remote, all the cameras come on at once. You don't have to worry about reaching out and trying to turn each and every single camera on. Head over to their website, tacticam.com to learn more. Also check out all of their mounts and adapters because they have stuff made just for sportsmen. Like I said, head over to Tacticam.com, check out all their gear, and start sharing your hunt with Tacticam. Now, please go support the sponsors that support this show and help me bring it to you each and every single week. Now, let's get into the conversation talking turkey hunting with Matt Strime from Weathered Oaks Game Calls. All right, joining me for this week's episode of the Wisconsin Sportsman Podcast is Matt Strime from Weathered Oaks Game Calls and the ok Fisher Podcast. Matt, welcome to the show, man. How's it going? Good. Thank you for coming back on. It's it's such a cool uh, thing at this point to see how this has come full circle. I, I can't remember. The podcast that we did, like the first one that we did together, was that the first podcast that you'd ever done?
1: First legitimate podcast, yes. I did a YouTube live once um, okay. before that, but yeah, first actual podcast, yeah.
0: Yeah, and so now here we are, I don't know, a year and a half later, something like that. And you've got your own podcast, man. What's the, what's that journey been like?
1: <laughs> uh, it's interesting. Uh, it's not my own. Um, I host it, I co-host it with uh, Greg Tubbs, but it's, uh, it's fun. It's, I don't know, something to do.
0: Yeah. Well, and you couldn't be hosting it with a better crew of guys. I mean, uh, obviously, OKS Fisher Podcast It's linked to uh, the OKS Hunter Podcast Network. I guess that's a, an official thing now, huh? Is it? Is is the network called the OKS Hunter Podcast Network?
1: That I'm not sure of. Okay, I, uh, I'm not 100 percent sure on the titles. I know he's got three podcasts now. He's got the Up Duck, which is their upland bird hunting and their upland bird and duck hunting show, and then they got also OKS Fisher, and he's still got the OKS Hunter podcast.
0: Yeah, very cool, very cool. Well, and your co-host Greg, he's a good dude. Yeah. Couldn't ask for a better co-host. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, Matt, for those who maybe haven't heard of you or haven't heard of Weather Oaks Game Calls, just give us a little bit of uh, of detail there as to uh, who you are and what it is that you do, especially with uh, with the calls that you make.
1: Yeah. So um, yeah, I co own, co found uh, Weather Oaks Game Calls. Started in, started building calls twenty nineteen. Uh, became established business in twenty twenty. And we customize in pot calls primarily. We do branch out into elk and deer calls now, which are, tis the season we'll be starting to build those up soon. And it's handcrafted. Everything's made in-house and tuned before they go out. So that's that's basically what we do.
0: Yeah, I've been using, so I guess it was, was it last spring? It feels like a long time ago. Last spring, I think, you sent me uh, one of your prototype calls. And I've used that one since that spring called in, uh, two birds with it that year, called in a bird with it this year. So, uh, yeah, it's working pretty well for me, man. You also sent me a, a, a grunt tube this year and mm-hmm. I, uh, for it, by some miracle, I did not lose that grunt tube. It is, <laughs> it is tradition for me to lose my grunt tube every single year. And, uh, man, I didn't lose that one. Maybe it was because it had some sentimental value to me, but, uh, yeah, I was able to actually hold on to it. So when when will your grunt grunt tubes be available?
1: Uh, we have some on our site now. We're to start production for this year uh probably in the next month or so. Okay.
0: I was looking the other day and I was I was shocked to realize bow season's like a little over 100 days away.
1: Yeah, don't remind me. I got a lot of work to do
0: before <laughs> then. <laughs> I mean, it's 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 real real close. Like I I was Absolutely shocked. I mean, I'm I'm in Georgia right now, and it's going to open up uh, September 9th, I think it is, and uh, the Wisconsin opener. I don't know what it is this year, but probably something like September 18th, 17th, something like that. Uh, yeah, it's
1: your second second Saturday in September. Yeah, which I, yeah, I haven't looked at
0: it, but pretty quick. Yeah, man, it it's it's approaching very very quickly. So yeah, you uh you're gonna need to get to work, man. You got uh, got some yeah. calls to build. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I, I didn't know though that you guys are doing elk calls now. Tell me how you sort of made that transition.
1: So, we've we made probably a dozen or so. Um, last year is like prototyping. We like to prototype everything before I just make something and sell it. Sure. So, I knew a bunch of groups of guys going out to out west elk hunting. So, basically, handed those calls out to people and to give feedback. So, this year I think we're going to do, we already pre sold like five or six of them. And so we're going to do a batch of them this year. So it's, I don't know, if the needs there we'll we'll make it.
0: There you go, there you go. Well, man, so let's let's jump in and talk yeah. about the thing that's that's on my mind still, even though uh, my turkey hunting season is is pretty much over. I know things are winding up for you there in Wisconsin. Uh, you've had a heck of a season, man, not just birds that you've killed, but also hunts that you've been on with others. So let's do a recap. Start. Where did your season kick off there in, in, uh, in Wisconsin?
1: Uh, I started in B second period. Okay. Um,
0: is that what did you apply for B or you, you applied, did you apply for a and just didn't get it?
1: I do a B and C. Okay. I'll take any of the first three. Gotcha. Um, this year I had a two or three times in a row. This year I got B. Okay. Awesome. So yeah, we, yeah, we got uh, B, me and my brother-in-law who I do a lot of turkey hunting with. We both drew B period. Um, so we took the cameras out, we hunted together. Uh, he went out, he usually hunts with his bow, but he wanted to get one under his belt. He's, it's been a couple of years not successful with the bow. So he's like, I'll take the gun out this time. And our first hunt, you know, set up where they were roosting, got in rice and early, you know, got all the cameras set up, everything like that. Heard him gobbling probably 150 yards off. Everything looked like it was going to be over in about 12 minutes. And all of a sudden we're sitting just far enough apart where he thought I was calling and I wasn't. And oh. there was a solo hen roosted right above us that didn't move the whole time until she looked down and saw us there. So oh. once that hen, once that hen did the typical alarm cluck. um, she flew away and so did all the toms with her.
0: Oh, man. What a what a heartbreak. So you guys got in tight to the roost. Is this uh, just a property that you guys sort of knew already and are kind of used to what the turkeys do there? Or had you been doing some scouting leading up to, uh, to your opener uh, so that you knew where the birds were?
1: A little bit of both. It's a property. We've turkey hunted for several years now. Um, there's general spots where they normally roost. And we always like to start out, you know, tight as we can in there. And this season, to be honest, I could have slept in until 7 o'clock because we killed nothing off the roost. Really? We had really? to make plays on birds. Yep. Between 7.30 and 9 o'clock, all our birds were killed this year. Man. Okay.
0: All right. I'm curious. I, I want to know what you were seeing, um, you know, even leading up to the season. But, man, for when I was hunting Wisconsin, I could not believe the bird numbers this year. It was like – the farms that didn't usually have birds on them had birds on them this year. The farms that do usually have birds on them had a whole bunch of them. And, uh, I mean, on, so I hunted one day, essentially, in Wisconsin. And we knew we were – so where I killed my turkey in Wisconsin, we knew that within about a 300-yard circle, there were at least nine toms because there were five in a field that we could count strutting, and we called four in. And so when we left, we went, went back out and looked in the field again. Those five never left the field. So we called in a different four toms from a, from another direction. So just absolutely crazy bird numbers. What were you seeing?
1: Uh, about the same. I mean, that, that one property ended up killing four birds off of. Wow. And there's still plenty to, plenty to go around there. Wow. Um, our numbers were great. We had uh, So it butts up to a big chunk of public. And I didn't notice a lot of public pressure this year. Because once they hit that public hard, our little property becomes like a little sanctuary. Because there's only two people that turkey hunt it, mm. and it's two or three hundred acres. So they're usually they're running around like crazy in there, but there's no pressure on the public to the north of us. So it was a little tough because they were flying into the public. They were comfortable in the public in the big open fields, you know, during the day. Yeah, it was, it was different. And usually you get a lot of pressure there. And this year it wasn't which usually deer hunting, you don't want a lot of pressure, but we kind of thrive off some of that pressure because yeah. it pushes the
0: birds onto our property. I mean, we, we still got it done, just didn't get it done right away in the morning. Sure. Man, that, that can be tough when hunting pressure kind of plays into your strategy. And even even from a deer hunting perspective, like you you don't want the pressure, but then then again, like you can really use that pressure to your advantage, especially, you know, during gun season, like it can be a, a tremendous advantage. Um, there was a spot where, um, the, the place that I really enjoy hunting, bow hunting for deer there in Wisconsin, uh, usually by, you know, October 1st, it's gotten a good bit of pressure. Those cu- first couple of weeks of, of hunting season, because a lot of people live there. So they swing by before work, they swing by after work, they're walking in, you know, 40 minutes before dark. And they're like, well, I, you know, I get 30 minutes at a tree, so it's worth walking in and it's public. So who cares kind of in their, in their mindset, you know? <laughs> and so it usually gets a ton of pressure. But then this past fall, uh, I go in there on, like, September 30th, I think it was, like, really close to the end of September, uh, not quite October yet. And the the deer were not bedding back in the marsh where they usually are. They were all up on the edge. And it wasn't because it was wet. It was because they hadn't been pushed down into the marsh yet. And so I busted two bucks, you know, walking in that first day, and finally I was like, you know what, forget it. Like, there, there hasn't been enough pressure on this property for the deer to be bedding where I – think that they should be you know should be betting so yeah it can be tough if you don't have the um if you don't have the pressure that that you're typically banking on so uh so all right so you guys get in there you you bust this hen uh then what man do you do what's your strategy when you are unsuccessful off the roost because you know when i hunt in ag country um my confidence level goes way down and it may have to do with a lot of the properties that I hunt are smaller too. you know, small private pieces. And I don't have a lot of timber to work with, but my confidence kind of tanks if I don't get one off the roost in ag country, where are you at with that?
1: Uh, I to be honest, I, I love hunting a couple hours after the roost yeah. that moving around, finding birds, setting up on them, making plays to me. That's what Turkey hunting is about, man. It just, making plays you're trying to outsmart them in their own game um, and it's a game of chess this year it happened to be checkers and we did quite well you know usually things don't line up that well but no it's like I said there's a lot of hunts where we get there you know 30 minutes after legal and we just sit and listen then we make a play from there you wow. know get a little sleep and go at them
0: yeah man that can be really important too um, you know down here in the south where I'm at right now. A lot of guys don't, uh, they don't realize how early some of those Northern sunrises come. Uh, <laughs> we, we get a lot more time to sleep in, uh, up, you know, down here. I think uh, the earliest legal shooting time was uh, where I am was like six Oh five or something like that. Um, so, oh yeah, I
1: think, I think this time of year it's <clears throat> give or take five o'clock in the morning. Oh yeah. Legal shooting.
0: Yeah. I think uh, was it last spring? The earliest I saw, I think was like four fifty-five, or something, you know, or, or four 50 And I was like, gosh, that's such an early wake up, you know, like, and, and I got, <laughs> man, I got out there for it. And, and that was the morning that I was set up on a bird on the roost and somebody shot him out of the tree. Oh, uh, I
1: remember you telling yeah, me that. So yeah.
0: I went in there early because I thought I knew, you know, I knew where that bird was. I had him pegged. It was going to be a great hunt. I'm up at, like, 2 in the morning. It's miserable, you know, and then he gets shot out from under me, which was a little bit painful. But, all right, so you guys didn't score off the roost. Uh, where'd you go from there?
1: So we were we we're on the more egg side of the farm, um, the bigger egg field side of the farm we're hunting, and we decided to make a play. So it's, it's not a long distance, but it's, you know, hop in your truck, go to the other side of the farm. It's a little more roly hills, a couple of smaller egg fields and this chunk of swamp. and. Because we've killed three out of the four birds out of one set there, we've deemed this little area called the kill box. And the only reason we're calling it that is uh, I've got to draw it out for you. It's a gravel tractor path that has two fields on the north or on the south side of it. And then in the middle of those two fields is like a cattail willow swamp. And then there's a field on the two fields on the north side, separated by a giant like flooded swamp. And the only way those birds can effectively get to each field is down that road. And we figured this out a couple of years ago. And the, also the cool thing about it, if they're in one field, they can't see any of those other fields. So they at least have to make it to the road. And where we're set up just off that road, either they're going to see our decoys or come in curious and three, the three birds we shot out of there, all two of them did similar things. One of them, that was just ridiculous. They came sprinting in right at us. Man. But yeah it's it's a, it's a cool little setup. Um, and I think I think I talked to you on this podcast about it before is when you're on egg fields and you have nothing out in the egg field, no decoys or anything and you're calling, no turkeys gonna go look. They don't see anything worthwhile. Yep. but if you tuck back a little bit, they're going to come and investigate because they can pinpoint where those noises are coming from. Sure. So they'll come and be like, oh, that sounds like it's, I don't know, it's going through a turkey's head, but they're, oh, this isn't on the field, this isn't in the field, it's off the field. So if you call a little bit deeper in the woods, they're going to have to step into the woods to investigate, which means they're going to come naturally closer. So that's a tactic we like to use, not necessarily sitting right on the field
0: edge. Sure. Do you guys ever, you guys ever start near the field edge and then, you know, kind of begin to work your way Back away from it if a turkey's acting weird on you and I ask this because I've had I've had times where uh, you know I'm set up near a field and the bird hangs up and it's like okay I'm off the field but I think I might not be far enough off the field you know and I haven't yet because I typically don't have a second caller with me but I think you know if I had another guy with me I'd be like dude go you know walk another 30 yards that way and call again and then walk another 20 and call again Uh, do you guys ever do that? Yep.
1: Yeah. If you're, if you're hunting solo and stuff, the only thing you can try to do is turn the call away and try to call very softly to try to mimic that it's far away. Um, But yeah, usually the second guy in the group or in our, what we hunt with, he is on the backside of the person who is, you know, the gunner. And he has a clear out where if it's accessible, he will walk back and call as he's walking away, even making a little bit of noise like rustling some leaves as he's walking away. We've had that work several times before okay
0: so uh you guys head back uh you're obviously unsuccessful off the roost uh did you both kill on the first day no why we could have that, okay
1: it's that, a little bit of a story behind that
0: yeah walk me so through we get it
1: to the, so we get to this um we drove around didn't see anything we're like you know what? we're gonna go to that the kill box and just call from there so we struck off a couple calls had three gobblers Sounded probably 150, 200 yards away. So we're like, all right, we're going to go set up quick. A couple, they kind of went quiet for a little bit, did a couple more aggressive um, yelps, and all three of them fired right back off, and they started walking in straight at us. So we were quick enough. We set one Tom decoy down. Oh, I'm sorry. On this one, we didn't set a Tom decoy down. We had no decoys with us because we were just going to do a little running and gunning. So we were in the woods, set up on that tractor road, the gravel road. And those, I didn't think it was going to work out, but those three toms worked straight towards us, straight south. They were coming from the south, coming straight north. So my brother-in-law, I gave him first dibs. He had the gun in front of him. I had the gun behind um, and the camera running. And I told him, if three come in, shoot, and then pass me the gun back because I was running the camera. We were going to try to get two birds at once. So it took them probably 15 minutes to come all the way in, gobbling all three at a time. Every 15 steps, all the way in, all the way in. Oh, my goodness. They got oh, – it, it was crazy. He was he was getting worked up. Like, my brother-in-law hadn't shot a turkey in a couple of years, and I could tell him he was shaking. They came in so tight, I was just whispering in his ear. I'm like, no shot, no shot. you got to wait. Be patient, be patient. And then they got to that opening about 20 yards away from us, and one of them must have caught us moving. So I kind of darted back. Then the other two perked up, and I I kept saying, no shot. No shot, no shot. And That one took two steps to the left, and I'm like, left, left, left. And then he's not shooting. I'm like, shoot, shoot. So he pulls the trigger. That one drops. Instead of passing the gun back because the other bird was standing right there, he goes running out to get
0: his bird. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh. oh, man. Hey, you know what? That's an easy mistake to make, man, when you're fired up. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, I don't know. I don't know. That, that'd be an easy one to slip up on.
1: Yeah, I mean, I wasn't upset. Sure. I, I just thought it was cool. He got his bird, you know. We called him in, and he was excited as all is all get up. So
0: yeah. So what what was that like? Did you talk to him about you know switching back from the bow to uh, you know taking a shotgun? Like, did he did he feel like he was settling? Did he feel you know what I mean? I... He
1: so he went two years. He uh, he ended up wounding two years ago. I think he wounded one of them and then missed a couple other shots and. He just got to the point where he goes, I I just, I got to take a bird down. So he just, he went in with the mentality. I'm just going to kill a bird with a shotgun. He has B period and F period like I do. He's like, I'll use my bow those. At least I got a bird down. Um, So he's been practicing with his recurve. He shoots those 250 grain gobbler, big head cutter things. I don't know what brand they are, but he's a, he's a traditional bow hunter. Okay.
0: Gotcha. Man, I, I almost took the bow with me this year. And, um, you know, I mean, turkeys are hard to kill with a bow, man. Like, like they're, they're hard to get drawn on if you're not using a blind. First of all, they're hard to run and gun on if that's the kind of hunting that you want to be able to do. And it it's really hard to hit the right spot. Like their kill zone is just so small. Um, and I was, yeah, I was it's not where you think it is. Right. That's what everybody thinks. Yep. It's, it's a lot lower than you think it is. Yep. So. That's right. Especially, man, if they come in strutting and are, you know, just give you the side, it, that can be, that can be tough to try to figure out. I mean, you see birds all the time on, you know, YouTube and stuff that just get a shave, um, mm-hmm. you know, or, or worse, they get, they get non-fatally wounded or they're going to die eventually that they fly off. And uh, man, I'll be honest with you. I had to come to terms with, and cause I think everybody has their own reasons for shooting a turkey with a bow. You know, some people do it for the challenge. Some people do it for you know, all kinds of different reasons. I did some soul searching and I was like, dude, I'm, I'm just doing it for my ego, (laughs) you know, like I'm doing it. (laughs) I'm doing it to say that I killed a Turkey with a bow. And it was at that point that I was like, that's not the right reason for me. And so I need to leave the bow at home. If I, if I'd come to the conclusion that I want the challenge, then, you know, wonderful. That's great. You know, take, take that on as a challenge. But I realized, I was like, I just want to be able to say it. I don't want the challenge as much. I I want to get a kill. uh, And I want people to be like, wow, he shot one with a bow without a blind. You know, so it's like, ah, okay, I'll leave it at home. But I'm already thinking about next year. I'm already, uh, as a matter of fact, I'm already shooting the bow uh, with turkeys on the brain, you know, thinking about next year. Because I think I do want that challenge. I mean, I hunted Iowa this year and I hunted Wisconsin this year. And both of those hunts were were really good, but it was like as soon as I located a bird in Iowa, it was over like it was it was a done deal it was it wasn't not it was not easy, but they just weren't challenging birds to to get on if you know what i mean well
1: you got it you got it early too right you were yeah early on in the season yeah, yeah.
0: it was it was second season in Iowa um which you know real early it's it, I killed it in the snow which was just epic. I mean shooting a turkey in the snow is just freaking incredible. But um it was the first week or the first season of Iowa's turkey season because they have multiple seasons like Wisconsin does. It was the first one that has a weekend in it. So the pressure was just unbelievable. I mean there were people everywhere. And they were all locals. It wasn't out-of-state pressure. It was all Iowa hunting pressure. And I'm like, I didn't think people even lived here. Like, like <laughs> where where do where do you people live? I mean, I'm in a town of, you know, 2,000 people. I'm like, where are you guys coming from? I do not understand where you're coming from. But um, anyway, once I left the I, – I was like, I've got to get off this public ground. I, I had a guy call into my Jake decoy. I was like, I'm going to get shot if I don't, you know – pack it in and go do something different and uh, eventually got on some private um, that some famous people from the hunting industry used to lease. And it was just incre It was just dumb. It was one of those mornings you're like it, the, the farmer told me to go sit by that stump over there tomorrow morning. And I was like, okay, I will. And the next morning I went and sat by that stump and I had two come in like right off the roost. And I'm like, Oh, that's why he said sit by the stump, you know, it's just, it was, it was crazy. Um, so anyway, so your, your, your brother is brother-in-law, right? Brother-in-law. So he got the bird. What kind of bird are we talking here? You think it was a two-year-old bird? Is he something a little bit, a little bit bigger? What, what, what kind of, what, how, how big was the turkey?
1: So it was, it was a nice size, probably a little over 20 pounds, 10 inch beard. And, you know, had some, some solid spurs on it. Nice. Um, Nice. We, we had a sneaky suspicion. We saw a group of three Jakes that never left each other all last season. And they kind of came in looking like that, you know, the trio. So we, we didn't know if they were potentially the Jake group of three Jakes last year. That was just kind of our thought to put a story together. Um, yeah, But nice sized bird. I,
0: I mean, I, had,
1: I would have had no complaints shooting it.
0: Very cool. Very cool. So I, I want to ask you something on that point too. I don't want to keep disrupting the story, but I got to know. Uh, have you seen like an area with like a couple of jakes where the next year you have like the same number of toms and you have that strong suspicion that those are the jakes from last year? Like have you seen this that a lot? Year, yes. Okay. Nope. Just this year. Okay. Last
1: year, I, I think I only saw two jakes okay. and we had a whole bunch of toms last year. Um, gotcha. This year we got a whole bunch of toms. I haven't seen a jake yet this year.
0: So. Wow. So last year um, there was a property that, uh, that I'd been hunting And, uh, there were four jakes on this property that just ruled the roost. I mean, they would not let anything, any other Tom out. They would not let a Tom in the field to strut. Right. Um, finally the last season of the, of the, of the year, I went out there with a reaper decoy to see what I could, you know, stir up and the four jakes came in. That was the time I accidentally shot two birds with one shot called the game warden on myself, all that good stuff. Um, but that left two of those jakes. Well, I went out to that property. It took a buddy of mine because I filled my tag so quickly. I went out to that property the next morning as I've got all my stuff packed up, and I'm, like, ready to head out of town. I was like, hey, you haven't killed a turkey yet. I can, I can hunt with you until, like, 10 in the morning, but then i gotta, I got to head out. And uh, we went to that field, and there were two toms gobbling, and they were, they were roosted in the exact same spot that the jakes would roost in last year. And it's a spot that I've never had toms roost in on that property. They always roost on the other side. But there were two toms, just like the two jakes that were left over, and they're roosting in the same tree. And I'm like, I wonder if that's those two stupid jakes from last year. You know? (laughs) uh, Just kind of still hanging around. But anyway, that would be something interesting to ask, you know, a Dr. Chamberlain or something like that, what they they see year to year. You know, if they see. Yeah, I don't
1: even know how you would, I don't know how you would, like, pinpoint that unless you had. Two jakes collared that also ran together. Yeah, you know,
0: yeah. You'd have to. You'd have to like a, GPS track uh, a group of jakes. Be and hopefully, after the trauma of getting shipped, they still stay together. Yeah, that's right. That's <laughs> right. So, all right. So he gets his bird. Sounds like a pretty good bird. Then, then, uh, then what? What's the plan after that?
1: Uh, we went to work. Oh, and okay. We, we got we got <laughs> we right. got nine to fives or yeah. seven to threes, depending on how you look at it. Um, so I, I wasn't able to hunt until that Friday. So he killed first day. Um, we kind of did. So we went back out Friday morning, almost two or two. Did the same thing. Set up on gobbling birds on the roost. Flew away from us. We didn't have a hen bust us this time. I think they flew onto the public. And they were in a spot where it'd be way too hard to make a play on them on the public. Okay. They're like right out in the middle of this giant open field. um, No cover because it's earlier in the
0: season. So they would have seen you. Yep. Yep.
1: And we've been over this before. I don't fit behind a reaping decoy the best. So I wasn't even going to try that. (laughs) We're just, uh, so, so we basically just did a, a repeat of Wednesday. We did the rounds. Didn't really see any birds. Went to that same spot, struck off a call. A little quiet, nothing answered right away. Kind of went up on a hill there, called again. Then we heard a gobble coming from the other direction, way north of us. So I like, all right, we'll get set up. It was 7.30 at the time. We both had to be to work at nine. So I like, got, ah, we'll just, you know, we'll sit here, sit tight, do some light calling and see what happens. And it was 15 minutes before we were going to leave. Hadn't heard a peep, hadn't heard a peep. We heard one faint gobble in the field where we couldn't see it because we're on the one side of the swamp. We saw, we heard a gobble. Two minutes later, we saw Tom strutting in the middle of that field all by itself. So it hurt us. It was working its way in slow. And this time we had a Tom decoy set up on that gravel path. So just alone, you know, real feather, flat Tom decoy hang on the wall after season. Um, he got to that gravel path, saw that bird, and he did something so cool. I wish it wasn't as thick so I could have caught more on video of it coming in. But it would take three steps, not in strut, go up in full strut. Do a couple of circles, go down, take three more steps, go in full strut. He did this for 75 yards the whole oh, way nice. in. And I, we put two and two together. This, I don't know if it's probably been thought of before, but we faced the Tom decoy ass towards where he was coming from. Yeah. So I, I think, I, I mean, that's something new we just learned. So we put that Tom decoy that way. And I think he felt comfortable enough to slowly sneak up on it. We didn't have a hand decoy, just the Tom. And he came in, like I said, every four or five steps, he'd go into full strut. He'd come out, kind of like curiously walk a little closer. I don't know if the wind would wiggle it a little bit, but he'd go back into full strut. He made it all the way to that decoy. And we had that on film coming in the last, you know, 20 yards. And he got to that decoy and he, like, looked in the woods at us and then looked away and then looked in the woods at us. And then he looked at that Tom decoy and he puffed back up and he starts walking around it, trying to like nudge it a little bit. And I'm like, I'm, I'm going to take a shot. Hopefully he pops out of strut and three, four steps. He went down on a strut and I shot him at 11 yards. Wow. So that it was, it was like a textbook hunt. Yeah. I mean, to me, that was a textbook on lone bird came in to fight uh, Tom.
0: Yeah. And there's this real, The
1: only downside is a tree was blocking the
0: kill shot. (laughs) Just want to take a quick minute to let you know that the Wisconsin Sportsman Podcast is brought to you by Tacticam. Makers of the best point of view cameras on the market for hunters and anglers. They're on the cutting edge making user friendly cameras to help the everyday outdoorsman share your hunt with friends and loved ones. Their new 6.0 camera has a ton of upgraded features this year. But the one I'm most excited about is the new LCD touchscreen. In my mind, that is a total game changer and one area Tacticam really shines is with their mounts and adapters that are made with a sportsman in mind. If you've tried to film your hunting and fishing excursions, you know just how frustrating it can be to try to get an action camera aimed just right or get it attached to your weapon or in a good spot for a second angle. Well, Tacticam makes all of that a breeze with their line of mounts and adapters. This fall, I'm going to be using their stabilizer mount on my bow with the 6.0 camera and their bendy clamp paired with the 5.0 wide camera for a second angle, and to make sure i don't miss any of the action. To learn more and check out their full line of products, head over to their website tacticam.com and share your hunt with tacticam. What you just said there is something that i've been thinking about as well because i heard um, i don't use i i use a tom decoy, but i don't use like the motion decoys. I don't, I don't even know if they're legal in Wisconsin, but they have those decoys that are like remote controlled where you can turn it. And i was watching a commercial for one of them and it said when you see a tom come out turn it so that your tom decoy is facing away from it because that's a submissive move and mm-hmm. i i thought you know what i always 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 when i use a tom decoy i face it in the direction of where i think the toms are going to pop out and i'm i'm usually pretty right like i've usually got a pretty good idea of where they're going to pop out into the field and i want them to see the red head i want you know i want them to see the bit you know the nope they're like turn it away from it so Uh, That's really interesting. So you guys had kind of done the same thing. Did you do that intentionally or just that's just how it happened?
1: So that time we actually had it pointing to where those three toms came two days ago. Okay. And the wind just happened to shift it and it was looking straight east and that bird came from the west in. But after seeing that, when we went out for E for the first time on that Wednesday, we set that single tom decoy up the
0: same way. So you set it like away from where you thought the the bird was going to come in? Yep. Okay. Yep. Nice. Nice. So tell and me we, about,
1: and we had, oh, no, go, go ahead. ahead. No, you're good. Oh, I was going to start I was tell you about E. Yeah, um, let's do
0: it. So
1: that time, uh, E came around and that's what two, two or three weeks after B and we didn't feel like waking up bright and early. We both had to work on, you know, Wednesday morning. So we got out there. It was light out, but not like the sun wasn't up yet. Mm-hmm. So we took two sides of the farm, Brother-in-law sat in one spot up on an observation point. I sat on one spot on an observation point. And we just listened. We had two. We had Tom's fly down, but not in the fields we were observing. And then they kind of worked away from us. So we met back up. We made a play, and we're like, "Can it happen for the third time? Let's go back to that same spot and see what happens." <laughs> Can, so I, I
0: just, what, I, just something about that conversation. I, I wish I could have been a fly on the wall, like. Could it happen a third? Like, did just just <laughs> ridiculous, right? It's like, could this happen again? Like, could that really be? But but literally, we were like, that was not our first play, but it was in the back of our
1: heads, both of our heads the whole time. We're like, oh, let's go maybe set up here, you know, blah, blah, blah. We didn't want to, like, push our luck there. So we, we spouted all these ideas. It was probably a five- or six-minute conversation. Like, oh, no, let's sit here. No, let's sit here. Then we couldn't agree. And then we both, like, broke down at the same time. We're like, we're, we're going to go back there. Like, let's, just, let's just give it a shot and see what
0: happens. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Man, that's awesome. That's awesome. Sweet.
1: So so we did, we, we made the play. We, we went back there, um, didn't waste a lot of time, set the decoy up the same way as when I shot mine. And at this point, my brother-in-law is hunting with his, his bow. So he's got everything set up on his bow. I took the back seat. I brought the shotgun with because we both had tags. Um, I sat, I didn't bring the camera this time but was out of batteries. I forgot to charge them. So I sat on like the backside of the tree. So if I needed a follow-up shot on his bird, I could get the bird um, from a little bit different angle where I'm not putting him in danger. And we sat, <clears throat> heard nothing, not a gobble, not anything. And then father-in-law didn't know we were hunting, pulls in that drive to go pick wild asparagus. So he see him park the truck. He sees our decoy set up the exact same as the B period. Texts me, are you guys hunting? I'm like, yeah, we're, we're in the same spot. And um, he goes, yeah, I don't see anything in these fields. I'm gonna cut this asparagus quick. So I, I think he, I couldn't see him cutting the asparagus, but I assume he got the asparagus, hopped in his truck and left. And I'm like, we're kind of looking at each other. We're like, well, we got 15 minutes. Let's just hang tight and then we'll go to work. And no sooner Did he pull his truck out and left? There must have been a bird in that field before he pulled in. That bird came out of the swamp to the west of us, and we caught a glimpse of him. And we're like, dude, that's a tom. So I struck off a couple calls. He gobbles, 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 like four or five gobbles in a row. And he walks right up to that gravel road, sees the tom decoy. And it was was almost a very close to the same thing that happened for B period for me. He came walking in, the only difference is he came in solo and he was gobbling every third or fourth step. He wow. came in, strut, gobble, came in, strut, gobble, came in, strut, gobble. So my brother in has got the bow. We thought we set up the decoy at 10 yards. Turned out to be about 15 yards away, which plays into the story in a little bit. So that bird works all the way down, full strut, and he's actually pushing the decoy where it's spinning on the one pivot point. So he's getting all worked up. Still in full strut the whole time when he's around the decoy. And my brother in law must have drew back. We're not in a blind either. We're just sitting on the ground. He must have drew back four or five different times. And he just told me, he goes, I think I got a shot. I think I got a shot. I leaned kind of like a little bit back, clicked the safety off my gun. I didn't have a clear shot at him, but I had a shot where he'd run to his exit path. So I had the safety clicked off, aimed at that exit path. And I hear the arrow. He let the arrow go. I heard a big thud. I saw him kind of run off. The bird kind of ran off and stopped. And I just heard my brother-in-law say, shoot, shoot, shoot. (laughs) And I'm like, I I don't see him. I don't see him because he stopped right in the trees way where I couldn't see him. He probably took 10 more steps to the East and I saw a black blob and I just saw a head pop up and I had no shot. So I literally like leaned back, gun tipped sideways, and I'm, I'm trying to get my bead on him, and he pops his head up again, and I pull the trigger, and I, I drop him at, uh, I was like 45 yards or something like that. Wow. He, so we, we got all excited, blah, blah, blah. We walk up to my decoy. It now has a reaper-sized hole in it because <laughs> oh, no. it, it was it was not 10 yards away. And after 10 yards, it, the, that arrow really drops things like 250-grain head. So he shot right underneath it and oh. hit my decoy, which he was strutting around. I think it might have taken one or two feathers off the belly. Um, so I got that one. Uh, nice follow-up shot. I was, you know, we were all ready for it just in case it happens, but that's how I got my, my second bird of the season.
0: Man, that's awesome for, for that plan to come together like that. Like, you guys put some thought into that. Like, I'm going to be ready for the follow-up shot if and when you – don't get it or if you wound it or if you, you know, if he goes to run off or whatever, that's, that's pretty awesome. I, I'm really intrigued now to hear more about this, um, you know, way of setting up a Tom decoy facing away. Like that seems like a really good, a really good tactic. Like I, I'm, I've been doing that wrong. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to change it. I'm <laughs> I'm guessing this is going to, this is going to change the way you set up from now on too, huh?
1: Yeah. Every hunt after that, um, I gave the father-in-law the tom decoy when he went on his hunt. He had it, you know, the back facing where the toms came. He had two toms come in and took one. Um, When we went out with Eric, we set up one head in front of it and the tom decoy looking at it and the bird, like the the back end of the tom, the ass of the tom, was facing where the birds were coming. I think, I mean, I have a small sample size. Um, You know, a couple birds killed that way, but it worked this year. Yeah. I mean, I think it's something to at least, try out next year and it's hard to always predict where they're going to come from. Exactly. Sure.
0: Sure. Well, it definitely
1: worked in our favor.
0: Yeah. It's interesting. The, the first, so where we were hunting, uh, there in Wisconsin that, uh, when we walked in the woods, I've told this story before. So we walked in the woods like 50 yards and called and had turkeys start gobbling. We're like, Oh yeah, I caught with our pants down kind of. It's like, ah, where do we go? I didn't, I was honestly wondering like, why would, why did we stop to call here? You know? And, and then birds started gobbling, I'm like, oh, okay, maybe that's why. Um, but we set up a, a jake decoy with a hen, and the first tom came in, peeked through this little, like, gap in the marsh. I mean, we were, like, back in, in some marsh grass, but it's it's early season, so it's all matted down and, and all that. He peeks his head around the corner where he can see it, and then he goes to make a big loop. And what I think he was doing was looping around to the backside of that jake because there was a big wall of brush that it was set up next to, I think he was gonna to try to come in behind the Jake. Um, you know, around from the other angle. Just we we thought that that day, but then three other birds came in and we shot one of them before we could find out if he was trying to make the big loop around the brush. But um anyway, that's really intriguing. I'm gonna to have to give that uh gonna have to give that a shot. So how many bird how many other hunts have you been involved in then though? I, I know you took Eric from the Ocayist Hunter Podcast out and got him his first bird. Is that right? Yep, maybe not. He was
1: on his first bird.
0: Yeah, so um, tell me about tell me a little bit about that hunt. I mean, you, there there's a little bit of maybe not pressure, but um, there there were a lot of moving parts, right? You got you got Eric trying to get his first bird. You're there to call. Greg was with you guys, right?
1: Yeah, he set up on a different chunk because it wasn't big enough for okay. the film crew. You know, the camera guy. We had a separate camera guy. We had Eric. We
0: had uh, me calling. So it's kind of a tight fit. So he set up on a different chunk of this property. Gotcha. And that's what I was going to say. You guys had a camera guy too. So this was, this was no small endeavor. Like this was operation, get Eric a bird. Uh, so oh, yeah. tell me, tell me how that, how that went down.
1: Well, it went good. I, I mean, I can't take all the credit. Greg had a great spot. Um, he had the birds pattern and the birds actually cooperated, you know, which sometimes they don't like to do, but we got out, super late kind of like our style of hunting uh we got out 5 30 ish by the time we got to our stand you know you could hear the birds gobbling all around us greg gave us a little bit of intel where those birds fly down on the private first and between seven and nine o'clock they end up working through this field so we were getting ready for the long haul you know just a long sit wait and game for them to come through um <clears throat> so we heard I, I my guess would be eight nine gobblers gobbling in this private field. Uh, we were on another chunk of private that butted up to the public. Um, but this one, we had permission on We didn't have permission where the birds flew down. And so the he said it would take a while to come in and we heard gobblers the, the whole time we were setting up and once everything kind of quieted down by us, I let off just a couple of real quiet clucks and a couple of little yelps and just kind of kept it low key cause there's a lot of action going on down there. I just kept persistent with it, you know, every three, four, five minutes, I'd do another 30 second to a minute sequence. And it finally sounded like a couple birds were getting a little closer. Um, Where I was set up, I couldn't see that field, but I was far enough back and hidden behind a big tree. I was actually able to stand up, look around the tree, and I saw a couple of birds coming our way. It looked like they are going to come in real tight on us. So I, Eric was just far enough away, I didn't want to yell. So I texted him, like, birds coming, get ready. You know, and it was like 15 minutes after that. So it took a while. They ended up coming out about 150-ish yards uh, in front of us. And they were on like the ridge of this gag field. And we were kind of down in the valley. But it had a little raise and then it dropped down again. So I didn't know if when they came out, they kind of looked like they were beelining towards Greg, who was, I don't know, three 400 yards away from us. So not knowing if they saw the decoy, a light, again, light calling sequence, nothing aggressive, just clucks, a couple of clucks, couple of yelts, and one of those toms snapped back and kind of looked, and then all three of them turned around, and they all started walking our way, and they got to a certain point where, I, I don't know if, like, they got charged up or figured something out, they wanted to get down there in a hurry, and the video we posted, Eric posted it, I reshared shared it, was those three birds trotting in at a typical... You know, quarter strut, half strut, just jiggling the whole way in. Yeah. and uh, Dude, something about
0: that just gets me fired up. When you see that, like, that half waddle (laughs) with the jiggle going on, man, it just, Mm -hmm. my goodness, gets me going. They
1: came in, not in a hurry, but they took their time. But it was, uh, you know, it's like you're hungry and going to the fridge. There's a little more pep in your step trying to get (laughs) down there. But we got nervous, too, because we were facing east we had the camera guy there and the sun was just starting to come up. Mm. I didn't want the sun to hit the lens and do some weird stuff and get them all nervous. So I think if it would have came in any later, we may have ran into that issue, but everything worked perfect.
0: It was beautiful footage. Absolutely beautiful footage. Like you said, it it was right there on that line where it's like, man, just a few minutes, it, this is going to be very, very different. So, um, yeah, so he, he rolled the bird, huh? And just, uh, Quick shot, and it was over with.
1: Yep, yeah, all three came running in. One got a little spooked, but I don't think it was from us, or it could have been, I'm I'm not sure. But he kind of like spooked off, but the one that was in full strut the whole time is the one he ended up taking. And uh, our camera guy, Keegan, was like, man, he couldn't have waited like two more minutes so we could have got some cool footage of it. (laughs) Eric's like, no, man, I just wanted to shoot the bird.
0: (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah, dude, that's that's so hard. I, I mentioned before we started talking here, like, both the bird I shot in Iowa and the bird I shot in Wisconsin this year, I thought that I let them stand around the decoys for a good bit of time. I was like, you know, I'm going to be patient this year, and I'm going to – and so even after I shot him, I was like, yeah, I, okay, I did a good job. And going back and watching the footage, it's like, yeah, you you waited all 15 seconds. You know, like <laughs> like, like the bird came to your decoy, and you gave him 11 and a half seconds, and then you let it rip. <laughs> Um,
1: but in your mind, that 11 and a half seconds is like six, 16 or 17 minutes. Cause you're like, oh man, oh uh, man, oh man.
0: Dude, it's, it's brutal. It's killer. Especially with, with turkeys. I feel like with deer sometimes, you know, when deer are coming in, you can read their body language a lot more and it like, I don't know, it takes a minute, but I feel like a turkey, dude, they can go from like full strut to like my head is all the way up and I'm periscoping to I'm flying away in a split second. And I, I know deer can do that too, but I think just the way turkeys move and they're all, they're all jittery anyway. You know what I mean? Yeah, they're so it's twitchy. like, yeah they're, they're yeah. they're like little, they're like little tweakers running around in the fields. It's <laughs> like, I don't, I don't trust you. You're going to disappear at any moment, you know? And so, um, but, and I also have killed a lot fewer turkeys than I have deer too. So there's a little bit more like a little bit more pressure there. Um, especially man, you drive seven, 800 miles. And go stay in another state for ten days. Uh, this year, I felt a lot of pressure for sure to get it uh, to get it done. But man, you had a phenomenal season! Congratulations. You you've got another tag, right? Yep. Heading yep, out. Yeah, heading out actually, this weekend.
1: Yep. Heading out. Actually leaving tomorrow. Um, doing a camping trip on one of the farms we hunt in center central part of the state. So we're in a camp at least one night and get you know two days of turkey hunting in there. Okay. So what do you to, uh, round out the season?
0: What are you seeing this time of year? So in years past, I've had a lot of good success uh, in the last couple of weeks of the season. I've, I've even, I've been able to get on goblin birds, you know, find them goblin on the roost, have them come in right off the roost in the morning, just like a, just like you would early season, not, and not have a problem. But I've talked to a couple of different folks now who have found birds that are just totally unresponsive and who've, who've had to put the crawl on them. You know what I mean? Just, just not able to get birds to, to communicate. What are you seeing right now?
1: So a couple of properties we hunt, um, I don't tend to see that issue. Okay. we got a lot of goblin birds. Um, if anything, they're, this is all hypothetical and what my thought process is, but they seem a lot. The ones who still want to breed, there's a lot more bred hens out there. The ones who want to breed are, are still going to come in hot. Yep. They're still going to come in aggressive. Um, but again, I, I don't think it's necessary late season like this to get up at two in the morning, go set up on the roost. I think you get a lot more intel from getting out there, you know, right as it's getting light out and making a play on these birds. So your time is used more effectively.
0: Sure. Sure. Um, man, I'm, I'm thinking about next year, uh, when I come up. I've I always go for like season A if I can, and then I'll take B if if I've got to. Um, I love hunting season A, but I think next year I'm going to take uh, my son up with me and try to straddle two different seasons and do E and F. Um, you know, come up on a on the Saturday of E, and then stay through like the Sunday of F, and just take that whole you know nine days. And because uh, he'll he'll be out of school at that point. We our schools let out super early down here, so I think I'm going to do that next year, but. The only thing that has made me kind of nervous is like, am I gonna find less willing birds? You know, am I gonna find birds that don't really wanna to, wanna to play the game? But um man, anyway, he he's hunted hard now for two years. He he tromped around behind me through the pine thickets of, of Georgia this year chasing gobbles, and man, he was a trooper. We covered I don't remember if I talked I might have texted you about this. Um he he just wanted to keep going. All right, Dad, let's keep going, let's keep going, let's keep going. And before I knew it, we had covered six miles and, oh, man. On, on our on our lease. I mean, we've got a very large lease, right? Um, but we're in it with a bunch of different guys guys I don't even know. I mean, tons of people on this lease. But we covered six miles looking for birds. And we got on some. We almost I, I think we were real close to sealing the deal there for a minute, but um weren't able to capitalize. So next year I'm serious. I I need to get I need for him to get a bird. You know, this was his second season hunting. Next year will be his third. He'll be ready. I've got I've to get him on some turkeys, so I'm going to bring him up to Wisconsin with me, and hopefully we can make a, make a little vacation out of it. I want to circle back to one thing you said before we kind of shift gears. You talked about um, this, this turkey for Eric. No, wait. Was it the one for – yeah, so you said that you'd kind of stayed persistent with your calling because there was so much going on. You could hear birds gobbling in the other field, right? and there's just a lot of racket going on over there. I've found that situation quite a few times. In fact, my very last hunt here in Georgia, um, I just found nothing off the roost. I, I felt like it was a waste of a morning. I'm walking back to the car at, like, I don't know, 9 o'clock in the morning, and I call, and uh, I hear what I think might be a gobble, and I even I texted my buddy Pierce, who's been on this show a couple times. I text him, and I was like, I just heard what might have been a gobble way off in the distance, but I guess I I need to at least set up on it and just see. And the next thing I know, I had, you know, four birds gobbling, one of which I think was a jake, you know, just just over the hill from me. Uh, It was just the foliage is so thick, and it's so humid down here at this time of year that they sounded like they were forever away. But they got down there, and them, and they had hens with them as well, they were just making all kinds of racket. And my temptation when I find myself in situations like that, when I hear just a bunch of Turkey racket going on, I just get real aggressive with my calling every single time. And I cannot think of a single time that that has worked for me. (laughs) You know, like, like it just, it never works. I mean, I all, I, but it's just my natural inclination. Like I jump straight to, Hey, there's birds over there. I, and they're, they're fired up. They're responding to everything. They're just not coming over. And so, if I want to be the one getting their attention, I need to get super aggressive. It sounds like you took a different route and it paid off.
1: Yeah, I mean, to be to be completely honest with you, the only reason I call light like that is I try to make it sound like there's several hens here, because most of the time in a big, you know, if you got a huge group of toms and hens all in the field, I couldn't verify how many they were, but we heard a lot of different gobbles. I'm trying to coax the hens over Okay. So try to get them interested. So you don't want to get real aggressive. Just, you know, I always try to keep it light, try to make it sound, you know, hit two different spots in your pot call, or you got a mouth call calling a pot call, kind of do light calling with bulls. So it sounds like two different birds kind of yipping at each other.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I, I do that because, uh, so three or four years ago, I had the same scenario. I'm not, I'm not kidding you. It must have been 25 birds, half of them, toms, half of them, hens all flew on the neighbor's private on the other side of this creek, and I could see the whole thing. Took a picture of all the birds. I got, just started calling back and forth, not aggressive, but loud, because they were farther away, and I ended up pulling. I, I did a sequence for five minutes straight, and eventually I had three hens fly over the creek, and then seven hens flew over the creek, and then the rest of the hens flew over the creek. And those toms, there are some toms, even after some of the toms that flying over, there are still toms strutting there by themselves. So they didn't know what happened. And I had all those birds work up to me. I don't know if there's anything behind that. It's just, you know, I'm not a scientist, biologist. I just turkey hunt a lot, and I go off of what I see in the woods. So where I hunt, that seems to work well for me, is if you can't, you know you're not going to be able to call the toms in. You get aggressive, not aggressive, but you get consistent, and you try to challenge those hens. You might have a dominant hen in there that's like, I don't recognize his voice, let's go check it out real quick. These toms are going to be here later. And eventually those times will end up following too.
0: Yeah. Yeah, man. That's a good play. I need to, I need to do that. I need to try that next year. Little things, man. This is that time of year where I'm putting all these little things in my pocket where I'm just trying to get better. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a a self-taught Turkey hunter, right? Like I never, I never had a Turkey hunting mentor. I had a guy that took me out one day. We shot a bird literally, a minute after his feet hit the ground. And that was like the extent of my Turkey hunting lesson. He's like, all right, you got one like good luck, you know, now after this. Um, So I've learned from, you know, talking with people like you uh, watching YouTube and listening to other podcasts and just trying to sort of take it all in now. um, Trying to round that corner and go from, you know, you hear people talk about being a turkey hunter versus being a turkey killer. My friend, Paul Campbell likes to say that a lot. You know, this guy, it's one thing to be a turkey hunter. It's another thing to be a turkey killer. And I'm trying to get closer to that turkey killer Mark and not just a turkey hunter. But uh, Matt, before I let you go, I've got to hear more about this, uh, this new project you've got going on with the okayest Fisher podcast. Um, Obviously you're associated with a, a fantastic group of guys. With a message that has just absolutely resonated with outdoorsmen all over the place, whether they—I mean, whether they are you know your your public land hunter that's happy with a forky, or whether they are that guy that's hunting private land and manages it for big deer, the message that you guys are are uh, communicating resonates sort of across the board. So tell me how that carries over into OKS Fisher, and you know what folks can expect from from that show.
1: Yeah, no, I I mean, I joined up with them last, well, I guess last fall, winter time. I've been talking to Greg for probably a year before that, and we were, you know, talking back and forth. Eric had the OKS Fisher brand already there, just it was just kind of sitting there. And me and Greg were big fishermen, and we're like, I think Eric would be okay if we pitched him an idea of doing a fishing podcast. And we were, you know, we both got gung-ho about it. We recorded the pilot episode. Eric liked it kind of went from there, but man, I, I really like their attitude where yes, everybody wants to shoot big deer, but it's not for everybody. Um, it's your tag. You put the dollars in your hard earned money into buying a tag. You should not be insulted, bashed, made fun of by anybody for what you decide to shoot. And that resonated with me a lot for different reasons. I never got bashed like that or anything. Not saying that I won't now. Um, but my what i resonated with it was i passed on so many bucks for my first 10 years of bull hunting because i watched jury brothers i watched lee and tiffany i watched all those you know big deer shows and i was letting 140 150 deer pass because i saw on their tv show that those are the ones you're supposed to let grow wow and i'm like so that's how i resonated with them a yes. little bit different but same principle and It just, it it worked out good. I mean, it's, I think I'm a good fit with those guys. And um, the podcast basically translates that over into fishing. You know, don't rip on somebody for catching a 12 inch pike and taking a picture of it. You know, you don't know the story behind any of it. You know, it could be a guy just got out of surgery. That was his first cast from not being able to fish for five years and he caught a fish and he's excited about it. There's no point in bashing anybody. They're doing what they love. You never know the backstory behind anything. So that's kind of like what we're trying to bring to the fishing community. Um, and what our podcasts are, it, it, I don't know if Eric knows, but to me, we ask questions to professionals that the average fisherman could be intimidated or not comfortable asking people. Yeah. We ask kind of like, and the, no question is a dumb question, but for the sake of this, I ask the dumb questions that people are scared to ask. Um, we are We're both good fishermen. We're not great fishermen, but we do fish. So we we try to make people learn through us. Like we ask the questions that they might want to have answered. And then, you know, we give gear talk. Um, A lot of me and Greg just, you know, spouting about normal experiences and tips and tricks we've learned and confidence baits and, you know, anything you can think of. Every species of fish from Florida to, you know, Canada, from California to the East Coast. Man, that's
0: awesome. Very, very cool. I uh I'm getting more fired up about fishing this year than I have in years past. I I've really loved the whole fly fishing for for trout in uh, in Wisconsin just it, it I I got bit by that bug really, really hard, and I was having a tough time with moving down to Georgia, man. Like I feel like I left the sportsman's paradise and moved to like the surface of the sun, you know? So like spring <laughs> <laughs> Spring rolls around. It's just so hot down here and it's miserable and the deer are little and the turkeys are quiet and it's just, it's just a different experience, you know? And so I've had this longing for Wisconsin and just kind of getting down on myself. And so finally I was like, you know what, I need, I need to, I need to embrace Georgia for what we do have. And what Georgia does have is some really, really great fishing. Like one of the most uh, diverse fisheries in the United States. Um like by a long shot, like tons and tons of different kinds of fish that you can pursue. Uh, and actually this weekend, I'm heading over to Alabama. There is a species of of bass. Uh, it's, it's the red-eye bass, and it's actually divided up into four different, um, actually four different species. And they don't exist anywhere else, at least not naturally, than in these four different uh, river watersheds. That's the only place you'll find them is in the cool creeks leading into these watersheds. And um, not only that, they're hybridizing at a really, really high rate. So it's just a matter of time until those, those fish are completely gone. Like one day they they'll no longer exist because they're hybridizing <clears> with <throat> other species of bass that have been introduced to these little, little streams. Their, their top end size is about 12 inches. They're real small and they look like a large mouth with streaks of blue down them, like this fluorescent bright, beautiful blue color um so i'm going out to fly fish for them in these small mountain streams where it looks like you should be chasing brookies uh but it's alabama so the water's a little bit too warm for brookies um so i'm going after them man i'm i'm pretty fired up i'm, I'm getting pretty excited so i'm gonna have to check out the oks fisher podcast so i can feel a little bit more uh, a little bit more pumped about fishing season because man i tell you it is hard for me to let go of turkey season uh and and move on to something else but I got to do it. So, uh, well, Matt, why don't you let folks know where they can find you and everything that you've got going on as we head into the summer. Folks want to check out your podcast. Folks want to uh, pick up a call fro- from you heading into the fall.
1: Uh, yeah, we're on every major social media platform at Weathered Oaks Game Calls. I know it's kind of a long title, but um, you can find us there. we got a website up, weatheredoaksgamecalls.com And uh, for the O.K.S. Fisher, Instagram, Facebook, and that's the OKS Fisher. Um, yeah, we do try to do weekly podcasts, and yeah, Spotify, iTunes, wherever you guys get podcasts from.
0: Very good. And guys, while you're at it, too, check out the OKS Hunter podcast. Excellent crew over there. Uh, appreciate those guys a lot, and what uh, what what all of you do for the outdoor space. Uh, it's been it's been really really good. So, uh, Matt, thanks for coming on the show again. I appreciate it. Uh, we'll have to talk again soon. Sounds good. That's all for this week's episode. As always, thank you so much for tuning in. If you dig this show, be sure to subscribe to this podcast, wherever it is that you get your podcasts. While you're at it, if you could leave me a five star review, I would very much appreciate that. You can also follow along with my outdoor adventures on Instagram at the Wisconsin Sportsman or at how to hunt deer. That's also the best way to get a hold of me, suggest topics, guests, or questions that you'd like me to explore on the show. Big thanks to our partners, Tacticam, Huntworth, and Onyx. Please go support the brands that support this show. And if you're looking for more great outdoor content, check out the where you'll find my other podcast, the How to Hunt Deer podcast, as well as a ton of other awesome outdoor podcasts. And until next time, make sure you make the time to get outside and enjoy the incredible natural resources that are ours as Wisconsin sportsmen.